0: Thanks, In my 16 years of pastoral ministry, I've had the privilege of shepherding three different churches, which were quite diverse. So they've been in, in rural, suburban, and small city contexts. Uh, they've been formal, informal, and in between in worship style. They've been smaller and larger. They've been shrinking and stable and growing. And they've fallen really all over the, the church culture spectrum. Now, of course, there's things that these churches all had in common, most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the commitment to making disciples of Jesus Christ. But that the overall makeup of these congregations are very distinct. But there's one thing that they all have had in common that has really surprised me. Something that many of the members told me many, many times that they longed for. Can you guess what that is? It's deeper fellowship and intimacy with one another. We're not the most welcoming church, are we? We have a lot of long-time cliques in our church. It's not easy to start meaningful friendships here. We don't spend enough time together. I wish we were closer like a family. I want to experience more community here. Those are the sorts of things that I have heard many times in all three churches, including here. I've heard it from many of you, which is striking that in all three, there would be this common longing for increased intimacy with one another. It's obviously an area where we need some growth as a church, where we need to be, you could say, pressing on, which you'll remember is what Paul's letter to the Philippians is ultimately about. That's the main message of this New Testament book that we started studying last week. Paul encourages the church in Philippi and churches everywhere else for that matter to keep progressing in the faith, to keep moving forward, no matter how far along we might already be, no matter how generally healthy as A church we might be. Well, one area that the Philippian believers had moved along quite far, one area where they were strong, is this very area where we might be weak as we're going to see in this morning's text and then later on throughout the whole letter, there already was some sweet fellowship happening within the church in Philippi. Sure, they were struggling with a little bit of disunity, as we'll see in chapter 4, but otherwise their communion as a church was strong. And in the following verses, that's why Paul will encourage in verse 9 to 11, not that they start loving each other better, but that they abound because it's something they were already experiencing. But more specifically, there was a a special intimacy between Paul and this church, something that he openly expresses, and it seems like almost a vulnerable way here in verses 3 to 8. And as we now consider what he writes here about their close, intimate relationship we discover how we can also experience more of the same. How like Paul and the Philippian believers, we can experience more intimacy. We can increase in our intimacy when we partner in ministry. That's the key as we're going to see here. We will experience more intimacy with each other when we partner in ministry. And first of all, when we partner in prayer. So Paul begins in verse 3-4. I'll read it again. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. So in every one of Paul's letters, after his introduction, you know, saying who it is that's writing and who he's writing to, he he gives thanks for the church. That is all but the, the letter to the Galatians, Uh, There, they were dealing with a false gospel. And so he just immediately gets to that. But every other letter, he starts with thanks. And by doing that, he demonstrates that thankfulness to God was a big part of his ministry to the church. And notice, it it wasn't thanking God for things that he had been blessed with, which, let's be honest, is probably what we tend to thank God mostly for. But rather, what Paul in every letter is most thankful for is people. People. In fact, in this case, he lets the Philippians know that every time he thinks of them, he thanks God for them. He says, in all of my remembrance of you, which is something that he did with other churches too. Paul writes in Ephesians 1:16 to the church there. I do not cease to give thanks for you Remembering you in my prayers and then to the church in Colossae in Colossians 1 3 We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you Now isn't that a great habit to form? Every time we we remember another Christian or every time we remember the whole church, that we would thank God for them, thank God for what he's done, thank God for what he's doing in their life. No wonder Paul had such warm feelings for the Philippian church, as we're going to go on to see, right? When you're constantly thanking God, for other people when they come to mind and focusing on the positive your appreciation and affection for them is just naturally going to increase right but let's be honest far too often when we think of other believers we grumble and complain don't we we can so easily focus on the negative and then ironically wonder well why don't we have the kind of intimacy we want in the church In the first church I pastored, they would begin every meeting by praying for the person and and thanking God for specific things about the person on your left. And that's because the pastor before me was very wise. He knew that no matter what that meeting looks like, no matter what disagreements there might be and, and hard decisions to make, if you have prayed for someone and you've thanked God for them and what he's doing in their life, it's very hard to speak rudely to them, to get angry with them if you disagree, to become bitter towards them if the decision's made that you didn't like. Instead, what happens and what happened is patience and and graciousness and kindness and intimacy increases, just as it did for the Apostle Paul here, as he thanked God for the Philippian church every time he thought of them. But it wasn't just, you know, those occasions when he would remember. We see in verse four, this was a part of his regular everyday prayer. He says, always in every prayer, I do this. It was was a, a habit for him every day. Which is, it's fascinating because uh, this was 10 years after he had originally planted the church, as we see in Acts 16, and five years since he was there for a very brief visit. But even though it had been so long since he'd seen them, they were still right there on his daily prayer list. That is amazing faithfulness to these brothers and sisters in Christ. But, you know, even more amazing is that Paul assures the Philippian believers here, Notice that he was praying for all of you, for you all. In fact, that phrase is used four times in these verses to emphasize his affection and appreciation for everyone. So when he would pray for them, he said regularly, it wasn't like he would take two seconds and be like, Oh God, I thank you for them. And and please bless the church in Philippi. Done, right? no he was specific he was personal he was praying for particular people and particular needs he was saying things like thank you lord for lydia who showed me hospitality when we first planted the church there and lord specifically i'm praying right now for Euodia and syntyche who were having a disagreement please help them to find a way to be one again that sort of thing it was very personal, and very particular. And what an example that is for us when we pray for each other, when we pray for our fellow Christians, not just to pray generally, but to pray for them personally and for their particular needs, because that builds up our bonds of love for each other like nothing else. Even if we haven't seen each other for years there still remains that intimacy when we pray for each other and thank God for each other like that. And I can tell you, you know, there's brothers and sisters in Christ who, who I, I know and, and uh, many who live across Canada. Really, there's some who live in other places in the world and, and they're a regular part of my prayer life. And so my intimacy, my appreciation, my affection for them is as strong as ever. And now as I I regularly pray for you, and, and I've said this before, but you know, I don't do this perfectly, but I, but I try to pray regularly through our church directory for each of you, particularly and personally. I find my intimacy, my appreciation, my affection for you growing as well, which is such an enjoyable thing, right? This is not a burden. Praying for brothers and sisters in the family of God. Praying for those you're learning to love. right? It's not an unpleasant chore. I guess I got to do this. Rejoice in, in, in what you're doing in the body of Christ and make requests for my brothers and sisters in need. No, it is a pleasure. It's an honor, isn't it? It's a joy. As it was for Paul, who said so at the end in verse four. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, this, of course, is one of the other main themes in this letter, uh, joy and, and rejoicing. It comes up 16 times in four chapters. But it starts here with the joy Paul had praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Once he held so dear. If you go to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul makes an even more startling statement. Um, uh, expression here is, is he shows just how much joy the church brought him. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. It's very similar to what Paul said to another church uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2 19 to 20. There he says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Isn't that remarkable? When Jesus comes again, what am I going to most glory in and, and rejoice in? It's you. It's the church. It's the body of Christ as we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. And that joy will be partly, I mean, first and foremost, because we're in the presence of our God, but then also because we're in his presence together. And the joy that that brings. This is also remarkable when we consider, of course, that the church in Philippi, yeah, they were a healthy church, but they were not perfect people. No, they were a church like any other with struggles. Chapter 4, we see that there was some conflict between two ladies in the church, and, and we know in Thessalonica there were also their issues there. But nevertheless, Paul says, you are my glory and my joy. These churches, these people were his treasure that he was immensely grateful for to God and therefore gloried in and interceded gladly for them all. Let's be honest, can we say the same thing about our church, about each other, but other believers uh, outside of our church as well? Apart from Christ, you are my greatest joy. And it is such a joy then to intercede for you and pray for you and thank God for you. I've known people like that. I wish I was more like that. In fact, and I'm glad he's not here today because I didn't want to embarrass him, but I think this is a perfect description of Pastor Rob. I have never met another Christian who takes so much joy in praying for others, especially now in his role, other pastors, something that he expressed at our AGC conference two weeks ago. I was honestly taken back when he he told us at the beginning and looked at all of us pastors with this great genuine smile on his face and love for all of, all of the men there. He said, if you ever have anything you need prayer for, big or small, whatever it is, anytime, Tell me and I will gladly pray for you and for your ministry and for your family and for your church. And it was very humbling. But you know what? That kind of appreciation and affection, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over years of committing to pray For each other to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ and as the intimacy then grows as we partner in ministry that way the joy and gladness grows as we do that together it's just as it was here for Paul and the Philippians we will increase our intimacy for one another when we partner in ministry and first when we partner in prayer but secondly it will also increase when we partner in proclamation so verse 5, Paul goes on to say that the reason he prayed with so much joy is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So the main reason Paul experienced joy in praying for the Philippian believers is that ever since the church in Philippi began, they had partnered with him in the gospel. And by the way, whenever you see the word because, as it's here, just take note of that and recognize, okay, the author is going to tell me now the reason for what he just said. The reason for this great joy and prayer was their partnership in the gospel. And that word partnership is also a key term in this letter. It shows up once in every chapter. It's a, a word you've maybe heard before, a Greek word, koinonia, and it means fellowship, sharing or uh, cooperating in an intimate way and it usually just has to do with, I mean it's in a general sense, partnership uh, in a common interest or a common experience or a common activity and it was actually used at this time often for a, a, a commercial term uh, in the first century. For a, a joint partnership in a business venture, when all part- parties participated, they all you know, gave some of their finances to this ministry and then sought its mutual uh, benefit together and success. Well, that's actually close to how Paul's using the term here. He also has in mind a financial partnership, only it wasn't in the service of promoting a business venture. It was in the service of promoting and proclaiming the gospel, the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're told this at the end of the letter, when Paul says specifically what this partnering in the gospel was about. If you go to chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, He tells us and he tells the Philippians um, what, or reminds them what this was about and tells them why he's thankful for it. Chapter 4, 15 to 16, Paul says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into, here's the same word, partnership with me. Partnership in what? In giving and receiving. Except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. So the Philippian church had a long-term partnership in the gospel with the apostle Paul, specifically through their financial support of him as he had left Philippi and then journeyed into other parts of Europe, other parts of the Roman empire with the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching the unreached as he was sent to do. Now, of course, like every other Christian and every other gospel Paul and the Philippians also shared the gospel as as, as just the, the mutual foundation, right? The source of their shared salvation. And, and that's ultimately what bound them together. And that's ultimately what binds us together, right? In that ultimate sense, it is the gospel. And that's something we probably need to be reminded of now, maybe more than ever, right? That our fellowship with each other as a local church and our fellowship with other believers as well, it is not... Founded on shared age, shared gender, shared personality, shared experiences, shared social class, shared medical choices, shared political views, no, or anything else. Our oneness, our fellowship is shared only on the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of these other things are completely secondary. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the hope of salvation. It is our one Savior, Jesus Christ, that we are bound together and have that oneness. And that's something Paul talks about later, and we'll look at it later in chapter 2. But in chapter 2, 1-2, to two, he reminds them there that your accord, your oneness, your unity is based on the blessings you share in the gospel. And that therefore must be at the forefront of who you are and everything you do. Paul's saying, don't let anything else, any other priority in your life, get in the way of sharing the gospel together and proclaiming the gospel together. So chapter two, verse one to two, he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, in other words, if you have all these blessings and more that are yours in the gospel, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, And of one mind. It's the partnership in the gospel in that general sense that ultimately united Paul and the Philippians together and ultimately unites us. But it was their financial partnership in the gospel which made it possible for the apostle then to keep proclaiming that gospel elsewhere. And that's what he's referring to specifically here. That's what was giving him so much joy. That's what caused him to have a special appreciation and affection for these Philippian believers. He appreciated and loved all the believers because they shared the gospel. But he especially had this deep intimacy with the Philippians because they had partnered with him financially so that he could go and proclaim the gospel elsewhere. And what a joy that is. And I can tell you as a pastor, I, I know a little bit of that personally. I, I feel so blessed that in every church I've been a part of, the church has so generously met my and my family's needs so that I can do this gospel ministry. But how much more is that the case when a church gets behind someone or, or a couple or a family who are, are le- like Paul, leaving their own cultural context? In order to go into other contexts, foreign cultures, often risky situations with the gospel. It means the world to them when churches say, we're going to partner with you in faithful giving. We recently started supporting, as a church, uh, Alex and Amber, who were with us a while ago. And they're going to be heading, as you know, into a very dangerous and dark place of, in Mexico, where, where Alex is from, with the gospel. And uh, last week, he sent they sent an email to us, and I just want to read it to you, as we see uh, the, 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 uh, the appreciation and affection they have for us and for our support in them. Sorry. We just wanted to reach out to you as a church family and thank you for allowing us to come and share. We felt very overwhelmed and blessed by the people and want to commend you for your hard work in SWIFT. We also want to thank you for coming alongside us and supporting us as missionaries. We are so grateful for you and your prayers and support. Please pass our thanks to the missions committee and to our church family. You notice that? Our church family. And please let us know if we can help you in any way. We would be happy to do so. We will continue to keep you in our prayers, Alex and Amber. You can just, if you've been to our missions conference and then we have missionaries here and you've talked to them, I mean you've heard this kind of thing so often haven't you? That thankfulness, that gratitude, and that that, that love, that, that fellowship that has that grown between us and, and those we partner with in this way. And it's just how Paul felt about the Philippian church, who had financially partnered with him. And notice he says, from the first day until now. So from when they first planted the church in Philippi all the way to this point now when he's writing this letter, which is about 10 years later, He was thankful. Their their ministry, their support never stopped. So in in Acts 16, it started when Lydia and her household, the first converts to Christ, what did they do? They welcomed Paul and his companions into their house and showed hospitality. And then later, Cornelius, uh, sorry, not Cornelius, the, the, the Philippian jailer and his family, they were converted. They also welcomed Paul and his companions into his home and, 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 uh, supported them. And then after they left, as we saw later in chapter 4, the same thing. And all the way up to this point, chapter 2, 25, we see that actually Epaphroditus had been sent by the church to minister to Paul in prison. And now he's sending him back to thank them for that. Chapter 2, 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. They continued to partner with him. And I just want to pause here and take note of how this applies to the church, I think, today. For gospel ministry to succeed, uh, for local ministers to equip the saints, and for, for missionaries to go and reach the unreached and make disciples of all nations, there need to be a lot of Christians who are working ordinary jobs in ordinary vocations, who give financially to support these ministries, just as it was here, to support this eternally significant work. That kind of financial partnership in the gospel is indispensable. Which means if you are one of those who are partnering in the gospel financially, whether it's here or it's in other ministries or it's around the world, this is so important. I want you to hear this. You are not somehow doing some kind of second class work. It's not like your job and your vocation is less spiritual. Because sometimes that's what people think. Well, you're a pastor. What you're doing really matters. I, I just have a normal job and and, and I serve here and there and, and I give to support the ministry. We see here that that is so far from the truth. The fact is, if, if you are doing your work to the glory of god if you're carrying out your specific vocation in love for god and love for your neighbor and if you're using what god has given you to further the gospel locally and globally your work is just as valuable as mine your partnership in ministry is just as honored by God, just as spiritual, if you want to put it that way, as mine and as any missionaries we support as well. In fact, Paul goes on to say in verse 6, you're doing a work that God promises will bear spiritual fruit now and all the way to its completion when Christ returns verse 6 he says and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ now this verse is often used as a proof text for the eternal security of the believer but although eternal security is absolutely something that's taught in Scripture like in John 10 or Romans 8 or elsewhere, I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here, at least not primarily. Rather, if we look at the immediate context, he's talking again about their financial partnership in the gospel and how it will be brought to its end, how God will bring it to its intended goal, namely the salvation of many, many others who hear the gospel because they supported Paul as he went as a missionary. Paul says, I'm sure of this. He was certain that their service, that their support would have an eternal impact, going far beyond his own gospel ministry that they financed. One commentator remarks, Paul is confident that God will complete or carry through the impact of their support as as its effects are multiplied in the ministry to others until the return of Christ. We know now that the Philippians would not live until the return of Christ, but through Paul's ministry, I love this, they had given a gift that will keep on giving to advance the gospel to others who will then do the same. Isn't that encouraging? That God may likewise use our good works of giving to impact many around the world with the gospel, many whom we will never even know about until Christ returns. I mean, think about the fact that we could be, you give to one of our missionaries who's doing gospel work in another country. And people come to faith there and churches are planted there and then that church people there do the same they support other missionaries who then go to another place another unreached region and then another and then another and then another until when Christ returns and there are people from every tongue tribe and nation in the kingdom of God because of your giving to that one ministry that then multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. That is so encouraging, isn't it? And inspiring, just how far-reaching our financial partnership in the gospel can be. That many, many lives can be transformed transformed by the gospel because we gave. Many years ago, a little seven-year-old boy wanted to do something Uh, to contribute to missions in in India when when a missionary from India had come by their church. And so he decided, I'm going to give all that I have. And he gave one penny, which later was used by that missionary to buy one gospel tract, who he gave to a chief in a nearby tribe, unreached, who just happened to be coming through the area, who knew the the trade language that the tract was in, and and he picked it up. And as he walked home to his village and read the tract, he was converted. (laughs) And he went around his village sharing the good news of Christ with everyone else. And then they went to other villages. And within five years, there were 1,500 people in that region who had come to Christ, who had been baptized. They went back to that mission station, asked the missionaries to come and plant a church there. That then could go and do the same all because this one little boy gave the little he had in partnership in gospel ministry and can you imagine if that tribe found out i don't know if they ever did but if they had ever found out that it was all because of this one little boy and his act of giving can you imagine the bond of appreciation and affection that they would have for one another We will increase in intimacy when we partner in ministry, when we partner in prayer, when we partner in proclamation, and finally, when we partner also in persecution. Verse 7, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul goes on to explain and express now just how much the Philippians and their partnership in the ministry meant to him. And in verse 7 and 8 here, he uses very uh, intimate and intense words. So since they were all partakers of grace, experiencing the undeserved favor of God in Christ, the Philippian church, Paul says, had a special place in his heart in his innermost being. So put another way, though at this time he was in Rome in prison, though they were 800 miles away from him in the flesh, he's saying, you're right here with me in my heart. And and what made that feeling particularly powerful, he says, is that they had stood with him in spirit during his imprisonment where he's given a defense and confirmation of the gospel, something he'll talk about later in verse 16. Most likely referring to how he was going to be before the Roman emperor Nero, making a case for the gospel. They were right there with him while he was imprisoned. And it's something that he he makes very clear later also in chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. So so by meeting his physical needs through the ministry of Epaphroditus, the Philippians, what they had done is they'd come alongside him in his suffering. They they said, we're going to join you in your imprisonment in spirit by supporting you while you're there. And it's actually something they were going they were experiencing a little bit themselves too as we see in chapter 129 to 30 it says that they were engaged in the same conflict back home they too were starting to suffer for the gospel and because of that they were bonded together in a remarkable way You know, as it takes extreme amounts of heat to bond two pieces of metal together, so it often takes extreme amounts of struggling and suffering as Christians to bond us together in intimacy. Dwight Pentecost says of this verse, when the apostle was transferred to the jurisdiction of the court in Rome, these Philippians were so united with Paul that they considered themselves bound under the Roman courts as well. They were not ashamed of the apostle because he is now in ill repute for the false charges lodged against him their identification with him and his suffering was a bond and that's exactly what Paul was experiencing here with the Philippians and it's exactly what he was talking about in 1st Corinthians 12 26 where he says of the body of Christ if one member suffers all suffer together With that level of Christian compassion and commitment, it's no wonder then that Paul ends this section in verse 8 with these words, the strongest words to express his feelings. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's remarkable how Paul here publicly pours out his, his love and his longing for these believers. And he says here, as Lynn mentioned before, when she read the passage, um, it, was, it wasn't a love that he mustered up himself. It was the supernatural love of Christ within him for them. And he records this here with very intimate language, not just for their sake, so that they would know how much he loved them, but for our sakes as well, because it's an example of how we too can share in this kind of intimacy when we partner in ministry together, when we partner in prayer and in proclamation and even persecution, when we live the Christian life together and do ministry together as one body. Two centuries ago in England, the Reverend John Fawcett was called to take over for Dr. John Gill in the largest and most influential Baptist church in London. After many years of fruitful gospel ministry in the small village church in Yorkshire, he was hesitant because he loved the congregation there. They had spent so many years partnering in ministry and they were his people. They were his family, but. He felt that this was God's will, and so he decided to leave. But when the day for their move arrived, the entire congregation came out to send them off. And it's recorded that with many tears, they were expressing their heartfelt love and thankfulness for his gospel ministry. Some were even clinging to him and his wife. And they were so overwhelmed with emotion by this love, by this affection of the congregation that Fawcett's wife cried out, Oh John, I cannot bear it. I do not know how we can go. And he responded, I do not know either. And so they remained. They remained there their whole lives in gospel ministry. Beloved partners in the gospel who shared this special spiritual intimacy that was so unique and so special and so precious that Fawcett commemorated it in a beloved hymn we still sing today. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship our spirit finds is like to that above. How can we have deeper fellowship with each other as a church? How can we grow in our appreciation and for intimacy with each other? How can we have deeper communion? How can we be more of a a community, more of a family together as a church? Well, we've seen here so clearly that we will increase in our intimacy when we partner in ministry. That's the takeaway from this morning's text. What Paul's expression and example of heartfelt fondness for the Philippian church was meant to increase in us. And so I just want to close now by encouraging us all to consider how we might increase our partnership in ministry with each other. Let me be totally honest with you. In these three churches that I have pastored, where there's been this same concern: how can we have more community? How can we have more intimacy and fellowship with each other? In all of Those churches, including ours today, there's always a small group who are partnering with each other, who are praying with each other, who are serving together, who are sharing life together, that are experiencing this. My desire is that all of us would come to experience the beauty and blessing of this intimate fellowship with Christ that comes when we partner in ministry. And so maybe that means then that you want to pray specifically for one person in this church, maybe one staff member or one leader or one member, and then commit to to asking them regularly, what is something I can be praying for? And then pray daily, personally, particularly for their need. And you will soon find that you would be growing in intimacy with them. And choose someone you don't know well. I don't know anybody who would say, I don't want anyone praying for me. (laughs) Right? Just ask someone. Or maybe... It's by increasing your financial giving to the ministry of this church or the ministry or missionaries that we support as a church or you probably all have other ministries or missionaries that maybe you support yourselves as well. Because the truth is, the more invested we are financially in a particular ministry and a particular person's ministry, the more invested we will be in them. That's why Jesus says, where you're... Your heart will be where your treasure is, right? And you will grow in that intimacy, just like Paul did with the Philippians. Or maybe it is by entering into the struggles and suffering of other believers, showing concern and compassion for what they're going through, and especially if it's for their faith, so that you can come then, like Paul, to to hold each other in your hearts in a special way as you share your burdens together. Church, the Lord Jesus wants His body to share in this kind of deep fellowship. He wants us to increase our intimacy with each other, to have greater appreciation and affection for one another, to experience, like Paul did, that great joy of being one in membership and one in ministry together. And so, will we partner together in that way? Will we be more of that spiritual family that Jesus wants us to be? And I know so many of you want to be and have expressed that desire. A while ago, I received a very encouraging card from a long-term missionary you may know, Edna Ratslav. We've supported as a church for many, many years. And I just want to leave you with what she wrote, because it's another example of what it means to be partners in ministry and a love and affection and intimacy that that can grow, even when we've maybe never met. Dear friends at Church of the Open Bible, I've been reminded of your many faithful gifts through SIM for my support. As I've recently celebrated my 105th birthday, I used to remind the Lord that I'm overdue for heaven, but I've ceased to do so. In his own wonderful ways, he has continued to show me he is in charge, not me. There are so many opportunities to witness here. She's talking about her care home. Please pray that I may be aware of the many who still seem to avoid thinking about where they will spend eternity and have already been prepared by His Spirit. How privileged to be laborers together with you and God. In loving fellowship, Edna. Just to put what we've learned in practice, as I said earlier, I just want us to close now by taking a few moments to pray. Just be some silence to pray for each other and maybe specifically to pray for those that we wanna partner with in ministry. Whether it's camps, like we saw before, whether it's Tony, whether it's Alex and Amber or Edna or others, let's just take some time to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we've partnered with in ministry. And then we'll be sent from here I hope enjoy greater fellowship together let's do that lord jesus thank you for your church thank you for your body thank you for this local expression here church of the open bible and also your church around our nation around the world all the believers in christ in all generations thank you that Through the gospel and through your life, death, and resurrection, by faith in you, we've been reconciled to God so that we can call you now Father. And we've been reconciled to each other so that we can call each other brother and sister as the song says around here what a blessing that is i just pray now lord that you would by your spirit increase our partnership in ministry with each other and with other believers as well so that we can grow in that intimacy and be that one body who will as we sang earlier one day rejoice together in heaven how great a day that will be we look forward to it make us more one now because we will spend eternity together what great joy that will be we pray this in the strong name of jesus amen